you know, whenever I hit the wall like that, you know, it just made me realize that I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And, um, you know, there's, there's limits. If Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Some of you will remember back in episode 301, we interviewed Rich Lunak, who runs Innovation Works, the organization behind a lot of the seed stage investments that take place in the city of Pittsburgh and southwestern Pennsylvania. One of the interesting things you hear when you look at the world of entrepreneurship are the brutal statistics. How many companies fail in their first or second year? How few make it to even five years in existence? My guest today, Nikki Zavola Benvenuti, is the founder of Future Derm, a skincare blog that has been in existence for more than 10 years and has been her full-time endeavor for more than five. She dropped out of medical school where she was pursuing a degree in dermatology to pursue this business and has had to reinvent it multiple times in order to keep it going, but by the very nature of its persistent existence can be defined as a success. I hope that you will listen closely to this interview and learn something from my conversation with Nikki Zavola Benvenuti. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So it's not even that professional because like, look at this. I walked in with a backpack (laughs) where, you know, throwing stuff, throwing cords all over the place. I've got like cords on my knees, so we've got nothing to worry about. Is this officially your first podcast interview? Yes. Another one, another uh, scalp, (laughs) I guess. I don't know know what the right terminology (laughs) is. Um, So I want to start off by placing people. It's actually, I realized in doing research, it's been more than 10 years that Future Derm has been in existence. And so to start off, I want to place people back in September of 2007, you were wrapping up a degree in biology and physics. You were setting up to go to med school, become a dermatologist, and you decide to start a blog. Like, t- t- take me through where you were at that point in time and what you were working on. Uh, sure. You know, at the time, I realized there was a lot of science behind skincare, and I realized that a lot of the same ingredients and technologies that you would see um, advertised in the magazines or on the shelves at Sephora were also the same types of technologies and ingredients that I was learning about in the classroom as well as studying in the laboratory. Um, and so, um, you know, I started as an MD-PhD student at uh, Pitt um, through this Pitt CMU MD-PhD program in uh, 2008, um, but I started the blog um, the year before, um, you know, and it really, um, you know, it was really just like a pet project. Um, and so like, you know, and, and one thing led to another. It sounded like you wanted, knew that you wanted to be a dermatologist though already, or you, you kind of already had that in mind. I mean, to even choose to study biology, you'd have had to have some sort of interest. Where'd that initially come from? Um, it was always my dream from the time I was a little girl to always own my own skincare line. Like I used to sit around and um, play with my grandmother's creams and um, like my grandmother, you know, she was really sweet. And so she would let me like smear cream through her hair and on her face. And, you know, I'd come up with like crazy concoctions, mixing things together. And, um, you know, from seeing what was taking place in the market, um, it occurred to me that the, you know, the best way to probably um, impact the market was to, you know, get a degree 
degree um, and become a dermatologist and understand the skin. And so, um, you know, I started to embark on that path, but then one thing led to another and I actually ended up uh, taking a leave of absence from medical school and pursuing the skincare uh, line in the company um, earlier than I would have anticipated. So when you started the blog though, you were kind of doing it as like a creative outlet or just a chance to, you know, correct untruths that you were seeing? How, how would you describe like what that initial goal was if you I don't know if you necessarily saw it as a business right off the jump. I definitely didn't see it as a business right off um, right from the start. Um, I noticed that there um, was a lot of um, science behind skincare and a lot of um, things that people weren't talking about in the mass media. And I also thought that women were a lot more intelligent than necessarily the beauty and cosmetics industry were giving them credit for 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, very few people were talking about ingredients, concentrations, delivery systems, safety, efficacy. And I wanted to, um, you know, use my scientific background to, uh, you know, kind of elucidate some of the claims and to teach people, okay, you know, this makes sense. And, you know, hey, this is snake oil. And, you know, and hey, this makes sense from, you know, in terms of scientific principles. And hey, this like really doesn't and you know um yeah that makes sense are, are there specific claims maybe that you can remember back then or maybe that you even see now that really irk you or you're like I can't believe that people are still making those statements um, probably the biggest one that I see nowadays is that natural and organic products are necessarily safer or more efficacious than synthetic products um, so there's a couple of things, um, four in particular, that really irk me. Uh, the first is, um, you know, natural and organic ingredients aren't necessarily um, always pure. Um, so a lot of times whenever ingredients are synthetically made in the lab or sourced, um, you know, they are, um, they're very, like the sources are known. Um, of all of the ingredients, and everything, um, you know, is, is purified according to certain standards. Uh, natural and organic ingredients are, aren't always held up to that um, same standard. Um, secondly, um, like the source of the ingredients um, very uh, makes the efficacy or potency of the ingredient um, vary greatly when you when you deal with uh, natural organic ingredients. Um, you know, for instance, like, um, you know, licorice extract is um, eff efficacious, you know, due to one very specific compound in licorice extract, but you might get it from one brand and it might, you know, have 2% of the efficacious um, component, whereas you get it from another um, source and it, you know, it might only have 0.02%, and that is not regulated um, with natural organic ingredients. Um, the third thing is that the concentrations with natural organic ingredients are often inconsistent. Um, so people rarely, um, if ever, say with natural organic ingredients, okay, um, you know, this contains 10% aloe vera. Whereas um, with synthetic ingredients, um, you know, such as um, like L-ascorbic acid, which is a form of vitamin C, everybody knows that you need it in at least 10% concentration in order for it to be um, effective. You know, and I would say that the last th claim that really gets me is just, um, you know, whenever people say like, if you can't eat it, don't put it on your skin, or if you can't pronounce it, um, mm. you know, then it's not safe. And those things um, may pertain slightly more to food, although there are exceptions, but um, a lot of times things can't penetrate your skin um, unless, um, you know, they have certain uh, chemical uh, qu qualities, um, you know, certain size, um, you know, certain pH, et cetera, et cetera, that enable them to actually be absorbed into the skin. And, um, you know, a lot of times uh, natural organic ingredients don't necessarily like meet those four qualifications. 
That makes sense. Your education in biology, having spent time in med school, obviously prepared you to be this guide to people, really, in, t- in terms of translating some of these terms that otherwise people would be unfamiliar. But I- I'd imagine that the decision to take a leave from med school in order to pursue future Durham as a full-time endeavor was a big one, was stressful, was challenging. And can you maybe just paint a picture for us or tell us a little bit about uh, what making that decision was like? I don't, I'm sure that you know parents or family or friends were giving you advice or having opinions. What was that experience like? Sure, sure. So, you know, I always wanted to own a skincare company, and that was ultimately the goal. And I think that, you know, along the way, I was thinking that I would start, um, you know, with a career in dermatology, I would be a dermatologist, I would have a practice and a research lab, and then I would start a skincare line on the side. And so I would always have a really nice income and a really nice, um, you know, lifestyle, and then be able to start the company. Um, You know, one of the things that ended up happening was by starting the company early and taking the extended leave of absence, and eventually I just had to leave altogether. Um, You know, there's an analogy um, with uh, Ulysses, where when he would go into battle, he would always cut ties to his ships. And and then, you know, there was no way to go but forward. And so, um, you know, by effectively um, cutting off my quote unquote safety plan, I had to, um, you know, or safety net rather, I had to really, um, you know, buckle down and, um, you know, get uh, serious about starting my business. And, you know, I was all in. And that's such a powerful aspect when it comes to even like a mindset shift. Um, There's a similar story from a battle in the Pacific Theater during World War II where one of the generals burned the boats. He he, he made the men burn the boats. He's like, all right, we're on this side of the island. The enemy's on the other side. And that's it. And the energy and the vigor that you take to something when you have that mentality, I'd imagine was really powerful. Definitely. And I wouldn't have felt comfortable taking capital from investors, um, which I did raise in 2013 and 2014, had I not been all in at the time. It's, um, you know, starting a business, especially your first business, um, you know, it's this very steep learning curve, at least it was for me, and I needed to be all in. Um, One of the other things that I was thinking about before we came in was you started the blog at a very interesting time for social media, for SEO, for um, just internet blogs in general. And if you think about some other brands, you know, I'll I'll put like a, a name like the Huffington Post out there that went in the direction after raising funding of being something of a content farm where they have to pump out a lot of content. It's not all necessarily of a, of a high quality and really researched and backed by deep expertise. It's more about just generating as many eyeballs and clicks and attention as possible. Whereas you kind of have gone in this other direction of really, even even in the answer that you gave us earlier about the things that irk you, like this scientifically backed, expert driven type of content with real research behind it. Did that impact as you started to bring people onto your team, the type of writers that you had to bring on? It, it couldn't be just any, not that those other places bring on just anybody, but you, you really seemed like you had to look for a specific skill set to complement yours as you were building Future Derm in its early stages. Sure, sure. So, you know, I think that um, when I think about things like this, I tend to think, um, you know, of how um, years ago, you know, retail was all about mom and pop shops and everybody used to go and just kind of go to, um, you know, like, uh, you know, um, like their local 
you know, spa or whatever, whatever it may be, you know, and get like a apothecary, get a skincare product mm -hmm. and things like that. And um, you would have that one-on-one -on -one relationship. And then, um, you know, big box stores, um, you know, the Sephora's, the Ulta's, and thus, you know, those uh, chain salons of the world started to come in. And, you know, it took away some of that one-on-one -on -one relationship and some of that, um, you know, that direct communication um, with someone. And then what we're seeing now is, um, you know, with e-commerce emerging, um, I see that, you know, like the big box stores are starting to lose some equity in the market and you're starting to see people once again wanting to hear from a singular voice and hearing from an expert it's just that you might be hearing from the expert when you're sitting behind a computer at 3 a.m in your pajamas rather than hearing from the expert when you have to go directly into their store at 3 p.m um but what I would say is that, um, you know, when it came to um, hiring writers and things like that, you know, I definitely looked for people with a scientific background, um, you know, whether a degree um, or training or some sort of job in the sciences. But um, ultimately, um, I ended up just still writing all of the content for Future Derm myself, um, okay. just because I think that at least for the time being, um, it maintains that sort of um, brand integrity and a consistent voice that people are looking for. And that's another interesting component of this modern age of media, where even if you create a company brand, it, people are very deeply tied to the person. So, you know, I've started a company, Piper Creative, and to most people, Piper is Aaron and Hannah, my co-founder. That There's that indistinguishable uh, tie between those people. So I think that that's... I think it's really valuable. And that's another kind of edge that you might have against the big box retailer. Because, you know, you said Sephora. I, Sephora doesn't elicit the thought of a specific person or a specific voice it's frankly a smell when i kind of <laughs> walk by it like oh that's uh that's definitely sephora so the next question that i would have then is what types of skill sets outside of that background in research and background in scientific fluency or, or thinking um were you look for looking for as you built the team whether that's marketing chops or writing ability or what else Sure. So, um, you know, I think that um, one of my favorite books on um, starting a business is The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster uh, by Darren Hardy. Um, and he's the former editor of Success Magazine. And one of the um, things that he always talks about is, um, you know, working within your core competency. So, um, you know, like there's only so many things that you can do in any given day. And so, um, you know, so, so for instance, like for me, um, the things that I'm best at are writing, sales, and marketing. Um, those three things, um, I would, you know, I, I think, you know, I like to think anyway that I have some natural skill, skill and ability in, but then I work very hard at those things, but I don't mind because it doesn't feel like work. Right. However, um, on the other hand, you know, things like operations, uh, finance, um, you know, managing a staff, um, holding people accountable, those things are very, very hard for me. Um, I don't particularly enjoy them. And those are things that, um, you know, um, you know, I find to be somewhat draining. But, um, you know, but, you know, I, I work within my own skill set. And then, you know, as I could afford, uh, as I brought in more sales and I could afford to outsource each of those, you know, items, you know, I could outsource the payroll. I could outsource, um, you know, to an operations manager. I could outsource, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I, I think that it's important um, to do all of the Myers-Briggs tests, to do all of the DISCs, to do, you know, like the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, um, you know, all of the different personality assessments and skills assessments that are available to know yourself inside and out 
and to make sure that you're always operating at the um, intersection of what you're good at, um, what brings you money, and what um, what you're good at and what you love to do. Absolutely, I I was frankly a skeptic of those uh, assessments. And when I started working with my chief creative officer, Hannah, she is very into those tests and like made me take it. And then I was like, wow, this actually is like a scarily accurate <laughs> assessment of me. And it completely flipped my perspective on that stuff. Just in, just in understanding how to get the most out of someone, understanding how to be collaborative and how to help them be their best selves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's um, everything, you know, as the leader of a team, you know, you are the pace setter and you have to make sure that you are both maximizing and optimizing your strengths, but also minimizing and uh, your weaknesses and mitigating risk. And so um, in order to do that, you have to know yourself inside and out and face some harsh truths at times. Certainly. Um, Getting back to the business of blogging, we talked about some of these other models that were very um, high traffic uh, lots of link-based uh, model for, for getting business. Obviously, they're selling advertising against that and making a, a small amount of money for every person that comes on the site. Um, can you talk about the business model of FutureDerm and how it has evolved over the... Well, I guess we can start from the point at which you um, took your leave from medical school into the present. Um, Sure. So, you know, I think whenever I started Future Derm, it was mainly to be informative, um, to teach people the science behind skincare. Um, There are a couple products that across the board have been proven in peer-reviewed scientific studies and reputable journals to work. Um, And, you know, those ingredients are things like, you know, retinol, which is a form of vitamin A and vitamin C, um, you know. And so I, the first stage was that we created our own line of Me Too products, you know, retinol, vitamin C. Um, the second phase was where we created other brands, uh, excuse me, where we sold other brands of products on the site. Um, what we learned after six months of doing that is actually some of the derm stores and Sephora's of the world actually on some products are losing money with each transaction. But the goal is to build a customer base and to essentially build a, cu- a list. Um, and so um, we couldn't compete with that without raising extensive amounts of capital. And so um, we took a we took, we, we took a step back from that. And then um, what we real you know, and then in 2014, I looked at everything that we were doing and I realized that, um, you know, um, the one thing that we were really good at was building a brand and building traffic online. And so we started um, doing that for other brands. Um, and then one thing led to another. And when we started to build sales conversions and to build sales for other brands online. And so come, um, you know, 2018, um, on our media side, we have 20 clients for whom we're building um, traffic and social media and um, sales conversions um, and anything from beauty to fashion to tech um, to, um, you know, AI. And so we're really good at that. Um, And then we're relaunching our own line of skincare, um, you you know, uh, mitigating some of the mistakes that we made in the past. um, And we'll be doing that this fall. Absolutely. I, I think that that story of not only evolution, but adaption to the data points that you're getting as a business owner. It's not like you just decided, I'm going to hit my head against the wall until this works. I'm going to listen to what people are asking of me, what what the market's telling, what, telling me, what consumers want, and allowing that to open the door to the next business opportunity. That's, that's what I'm hearing from your story. Absolutely. I, I'm a big believer that you should never change the goal, but you 
can always you should always change the methods as the data and um, you know everything is coming back to you and you're getting feedback and you're getting um, you know the actual sales and marketing numbers. Um, you can always change the methods by which you're trying to reach your goal, but don't change the goal. Absolutely. So can you paint a little more color onto these twenty clients that you're working with? Um, the intersection of driving traffic to their website, converting it into sales, social media, like what that process looks looks like what channels you're focusing on to accomplish those goals for clients? Um, you know, I think that the biggest differentiator for us as a quote unquote agency is that, you know, agencies of your um, that used to focus primarily on offline ways to um, drive sales and um, eyeballs essentially focused really hard on making one perfect ad, um, you know, like on a billboard or a TV commercial. And that's still the case, you know, a lot of times for print and offline advertising. Online, it's all about being agile. So it's all about being quick. It's about being nimble. And it's about about putting as many things out there as you can. So for our average client, we're producing about 20 different social media ads a month. Um, we're dividing up half of their budget between those 20 ads, and we're testing how each of them work religiously. And then on um, whichever of those 20 ads, usually it's a bell-shaped curve. Usually there's anywhere from one to four of those ads that far outperform the rest. We use the other half of the budget, divided them up amongst those one to four ads um, to then, you know, propagate even more traffic and eyeballs and engagement. Yeah. And that's really the next step of A-B testing where instead of, you know, we're going to do these two little tweaks and just choose one or the other, you're extending that to a larger cohort and really um, dialing in the, the best performers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so primarily Facebook advertising and Instagram advertising is the channel that you see just working and being effective and, and the opportunity that you're coaching brands to take advantage of. Um, sure, sure. So, you know, and I realize that, you know, there's all different types of digital advertising. And, you know, I always joke that if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, amongst direct CPC, social content referral and affiliate ways of making um, sales, you know, I would say that we tend to lean towards uh, social, always linking to time tried and true uh, landing pages, and then also content through a blog um, or a vlog, um, and, you know, linking those um, in turn to um, proven landing pages. That makes sense. Um, I don't have much more uh, in, in terms of questions for you, Nikki. I, I, I'm really fascinated by this kind of, I don't even want to call it necessarily ping-ponging back and forth between selling the skincare items and teaching what you've learned to other clients and then continuing to do that. But I think that that is a really fascinating direction for brands to take where a lot of the people, you know, th th there's the perverse direction of, uh, I just want to be the coach and I haven't necessarily like put in the time in on the field to go about the coaching, which you clearly have. Um, but I think that there is kind of a model for success there that people can start to piece apart. What, what if... What would you say to folks who are looking to get started, not necessarily in skincare, not necessarily um, even in marketing, but as it pertains to this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on for the last 10 years? Gosh, um, you know, I would say um, two big things. One is just to get started. Um, a lot of times entrepreneurs have analysis paralysis or else they think that they need to get the product perfect before they're ready to go to market. But, um, you know, everything always takes twice as long and costs twice as much, at least, mm -hmm. <laughs> as you think it's going to. And getting started right away um, is very important. And whether, um, you know, you um, just do a blog post a day or whether you 
um, you know, are, are calling, you know, vendors about the product or getting, um, you know, even building the product and getting it in the hands of your friends and family for feedback. Um, just doing something every day is crucial. And then I would say, secondly, um, you know, I'm a big believer in what um, there's a life coach. Her name's Martha Beck, um, and I adore her work. And um, she always talks about turtle steps. And so, you know, different people are starting in different places. You know, um, obviously, um, you know, a guy who's, um, you know, 23 and right out of um, college and single is going to have a lot more time to start a business than, say, you know, a woman who's in her late 40s and perhaps she's more seasoned and has more experience, but she's also married and has three kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, like what is the minimum daily step that you can commit to even on your very worst days um, and making sure that you do that every single day because it builds momentum. Um, and um, once you get Big Mo going, <laughs> that's absolutely that's when the results occur. Another kind of component that you alluded to there with the perhaps older uh, person with a, a family and other obligations is this notion of optionality. Um, and one of the unifying themes that I've seen through different um, not just entrepreneurs, but people who continue to start stuff. Um, a unifying theme that I've come across is that building a life with that optionality, um, kind of always being mindful to that and, and, and present with it, as opposed to making a decision that really locks you into a, a singular path or a singular pattern. Um, can you maybe speak to in your personal life outside of Future Derm, uh, if that's been a consideration, how you've made those types of considerations to continue to make space for the optionality in your professional life? Sure, sure. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, there's been two big, you know, events in my life. Um, one was, um, you know, um, 2017, I got mono. Um, really bad case of mono. It lasted for three months. And, um, you know, whenever I hit the wall like that, you know, it just made me realize that I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And, um, you know, there's, there's limits if you don't have your health. And, you know, if you have those days where like my mono was so bad, I had days where it hurt to lift my arms. Oh my God. Um, and so it made me realize that I needed to take a step back and have more balance in my life. And then, uh, secondly, I had uh, my first child, a son, um, Anthony, I had, um, you know, my baby on February 20th. Um, so he's three months old and, um, that was a huge event that made me realize, you know, that, um, you know, you not only need to accomplish the goals, but you also need to have meaning. Um, and I never really understood when people would say that before, you know, like, well, you know, I don't know achieving things has meaning, you know, yeah. you know, maybe, you know, but no, I, I understand more now. There's an emotionality there that just wasn't there before. Well, it's clear, even in that answer, you, you lit up just even in saying his name <laughs> and, and thinking back to that. So that, that is a really important perspective to share. And I, I thank you for that. Um, as we aim towards wrapping up here, uh, we're going to ask our standard last two questions. But before we do that, is there anything you were hoping to share today that I didn't give you the chance to? Um, I guess, you know, in um, July on our site, we're going to be launching, um, you know, July 9th, we're going to be launching a beta line of our FutureDerm customizable skincare products. Um, so they're the uh, first line of products um, for skincare where you can either take a quiz and we will then uh, custom formulate. And, um, you know, they're actually hand mixed moisturizers that we will make um, in our um, laboratory facility um, for um, our customers, or you can choose your own ingredients um, because 
because we have that science-minded audience. Gotcha. So um, we're really excited about that. So please, um, you know, if you remember um, Midsummer, um, be sure you check that out at futureDerm.com. We'll definitely link that in the show notes. Um, I'm curious because I, I know very little about skincare and that was one of my like anxieties as I was coming into this interview is like <laughs> what type good. of what type of questions would you ask to clarify what type of skincare or skin product might be appropriate for someone? Like I don't even know that like the basic binary I don't even know if they're binary or not. Sure. So that you know there's there's the fir- there's the primary concerns, you know, things like um, you know, like your skin type, you know, dry oily, normal. And then there's things like skin concerns. So eczema, acne, uh, wrinkles, sagging skin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then also like your age obviously plays a factor. Um, then there are more sophisticated things that a lot of lines don't take into account, such as environment. Um, whenever it's summer, a lot of people tend to get oilier your skin. And then whenever it's colder out, you know, your skin tends to get drier. Um, similarly, people at higher elevations tend to have, um, you know, drier skin. Um, people, are, you know, so it really depends on, um, you know, people in, you know, ocean, uh, like sea level, you know, they tend to have um, oilier skin. So it really depends on um, like a lot of different factors. And we put a lot of different factors into figuring out what skincare would be best for you. That makes sense. Um, we'll definitely want to encourage people to learn more. They can check out the website, futureDerm.com, um, to check out these types of insights and, and recommendations that you've been making. But I want to make sure that people get all the digital coordinates uh, where they can learn more about you guys. So uh, where should people head to learn more? Um, so uh, for FutureDerm, um, to, for our skincare and skincare line, it's FutureDerm.com. And then for uh, media, digital marketing, and uh, sales tips for e-commerce, um, that's FutureDermMedia.com. Awesome. That'll be linked to in the show notes. Like we said before, going deep with Aaron.com slash podcast for this and every episode of the show. Uh, but as we do at the end of each interview, Nikki, I want to give you the mic a final time to issue a actionable personal challenge for the audience. Um, I would say do something. Uh, make sure that, you know, pick an item that you will be able to do every single day, um, you know, whether that is for five minutes every day or whether that's for five hours every day. But whatever your personal daily minima is, find it and do it. Absolutely. It's it's crazy how much momentum for something that you would perceive to be big actually started with a small step at the beginning. So I, I love that piece of advice. Um, Nikki, thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Erin. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so and head on over to pipercreative.co slash events to learn more about two big events that we have coming up that we're very excited about. The first is a YouTube workshop with a few of Pittsburgh's largest YouTube creators talking about how they've built their channels, what advice they have for people starting now and who are looking to continue to grow their presence on the platform. Furthermore, in March of 2019, we'll be hosting the second Going Deep Summit. We've already announced one speaker, Mike Dariano of the Waiters Pad blog and three previous appearances on this podcast. We have a few more exciting speakers that we are about to announce as well. And we hope that you will be able to make it there. We've already sold over 40 tickets, which is ridiculous because at this point last year, I don't think we'd even announced the event yet, let alone sold any tickets. So the fact that we are already building off of the 
momentum of our first event to make the second Going Deep Summit even bigger and better has me phenomenally excited, has Hannah phenomenally excited, and I hope that you will be able to make it there March 23rd, 2019. Check it all out at pipercreative.co slash events. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.